The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing Vernon Adams Jr. being traded to the B.C. Lions. Chris Streveler making the New York Jets practice roster. Jake Mayer impressing in his first start of the season with the Calgary Stampeders. Dane Evans potentially playing for his career in Tigertown. And former CFL quarterback James Franklin selling his 2015 Grey Cup ring. But first, the Montreal Alouettes have undergone a shakeup in their front office as outspoken minority owner Gary Stern left the day-to-day operations of the club and resigned from the league's board of governors. President Mario Cicchini will now be reporting to the estate of Sid Spiegel, which controls 75% of the team, leading to speculation that the franchise could be sold again in the foreseeable future. What does this all mean for the Alouettes? Well, I mean, I know Mario Cicchini has downplayed right the after effects. He he said on radio that this is you know this is only a story because it's Montreal, and of course they have recently had issues with ownership dating back to 2019 when the Wetton Halls left and the league assumed the ownership of that club and carried it for I, I believe it was in the neighborhood of seven or eight months before a new owner was secured. For us at Three Down, this is heartbreaking because Gary Stern is the most colorful owner that I can remember <laughs> in in all of my time covering and following the CFL. Um, I will miss his, his his Twitter account terribly that has since been deactivated. Um, to me, at the end of the day, though, as far as the Alouettes are concerned, I mean, Spiegel's estate, by all accounts, has said that they're going to continue paying the bills. The day-to-day operations of the team will not be affected. To me, the surprising thing is the fact that Spiegel and Stern, the business partner and father-in-law, father-and-son duo, don't seem to have had a particularly strong succession plan following Spiegel's passing. And I don't mean to sound insensitive or make light of the passing of Mr. Spiegel, but he was reportedly 89 years old when the team was purchased. And to me, if I'm entering a business partnership with anybody, it doesn't matter how old they are, there needs to be a a succession plan in place for what happens in the event that they pass, that I pass, that anything happens. And I'm surprised that there seems to be confusion from the estate as to whether or not they actually want to hold this team following the passing of Mr. Spiegel. You're absolutely right, Hodge. And to me, some of that blame falls on the league because, of course, they had control of the Alouettes at the time, and I know that they were desperate to find ownership. But you do not enter into an agreement like this with one party, you know, up there in age and not have some sort of guarantee of a succession or a smooth transfer of ownership if the worst-case scenario happens. To me, that was a massive 
oversight by Randy Ambrosi and the rest of the CFL League office to allow this deal to take place without some guarantee that we would have, you know, ownership transfer to Mr. Stern or some other plan. And right now, it looks like the Alouettes and the league have egg on their face, in particular because Stern has been so vocal. And for me, you know, I've made uh, no attempt to hide the fact that that Stern's antics do not appeal to me in terms of ownership. I like people who engage with the fan base, who who seem like they're someone you could have a beer with, but he's gone a little bit over the top for my liking. And with this very predictable scenario playing out in the fact that he did not have majority ownership of this team, he had to have known that something like this was coming. It seems even more ludicrous that he would be so out there and so brash in his ownership of the team, knowing that it could be taken away in an instant and he's had to take a step back. And now the Alouettes and the league look like fools. Stern probably didn't think that this could be taken away from him. And I understand the way that the Alouettes and some other people around the CFL are trying to frame this. But based on Stern being the face of this franchise when they bought the team, Sid Spiegel did not show up to that press conference. And really, he was the main person, Stern that is, that was forward-facing for the Alouettes ownership group. So in my mind, this is a case of Stern being kicked out of the old boys club. And JC, you said that some of his antics didn't necessarily sit well with you. Well, in my mind, this is not how any of the board of governors like to operate in the CFL. They like to keep it very quiet. And in my mind, that's actually what happened here. If you step back and look at the situation, Stern was so excited to be part of this ownership group. He was outspoken guaranteeing wins, potentially, well, he really was actually begging fans to come to the stadium and watch his team. So I don't think if he had a choice that he would have stepped aside from the day-to-day operations. And from Stern's perspective, he probably thought he was so close with Sid Spiegel because they were business partners before this venture that it would be taken away from him. So I think that is important context to the situation here that Stern was really excited and then all of a sudden he's gone. That just doesn't make any sense. So we need to analyze the situation for what it is. And I truly believe if Mr. Stern could have had the choice, he would have wanted to be a part of this. And it seems yet again that Danny Machocha, who is excellent at playing politics, part of the reason why he's in the situation that he is, was probably behind this, and this is speculation, not hard facts, getting Stern out of there because it's been well documented now that Mr. Stern did not want to trade Vernon Adams Jr. And if you're Machocha, you understand that. You have a first-round pick sitting on the table. You want to get some return for this guy when you're clearly going for Trevor Harris as the starter there, at least for this season. Yeah, and and let's look forward for the Alouettes for a moment, obviously. And and by the way, I will touch on Mr. Stern's Twitter account, because we did get some negative feedback from a couple episodes ago on the show when we criticized some of his tweets. Uh, if we weren't clear, and I won't speak for you guys, I'll just speak for myself. I never had issue with Gary Stern tweeting. I loved it as a member of the media. I think the criticism for me was times when Gary himself would acknowledge that he was tweeting about something that he didn't know anything about, whether it was an on-field situation or whether he was talking about financials behind the scenes and admitting, okay, I don't actually know what the numbers are, but X, Y, Z, here's my opinion anyway. You know, if he's offering his personal opinion on something that either 
he controls or he has the facts behind, great. The only thing I would be critical of and was critical of or meant to be critical of was him tweeting out of his rear end from time to time, which in fairness, I think we've all done at least once or twice. Um, that being said, this leaves the Montreal Alouettes in a situation where they will likely need new ownership. They will likely need localized ownership. We've seen Amar Dolman revolutionize the way in which the BC Lions operate within that community of Vancouver, JC, where you live and have for many, many, many years. Here's hoping that whether it is one of the previously interested groups or a brand new group, that whoever ends up buying this team, should they be for sale, which seems highly likely at this point, that they will employ a similar strategy to reinvigorate that franchise. Because Mario Cicchini did admit to the French language media in Montreal that long term, Mr. Sturm was hoping to have minority stakeholders in the province of Quebec by end of the team. And he did say that he had people locally over the years say, hey, if there's ever an opportunity to be involved with the club, we want in. Hopefully one or several of those groups are able to step in because we know we need strong leadership in Montreal. Obviously, that wasn't happening with the Wettenhalls. At the end of their tenure, the league was not in a position to carry the, the team long term. We need a brand new owner. Hopefully somebody just as excited and invested and energized as Mr. Doman in Vancouver. I think this goes back to my point that I, I brought up earlier. In fact, that the league acted a little bit too desperately in, in getting this new owner, this ownership group in place. The fact that we know that there have been local groups interested to some degree for a long period of time. And now we're not privy to the financials that are involved in those deals. And maybe the money is just not there, but there's certainly been vocal local interest before. And we've seen how successful that can be in CFL markets, how invigorating it can be for a franchise to just have someone who knows the city, who knows the market, who has boots on the ground. I think the league, of course, was trying to get the Alouettes off their books to, to stop the financial losses as quickly as possible. But if we're looking at this in hindsight and we're truly evaluating it, they acted rashly and they should have held on just a little bit longer and potentially found that local ownership or put a plan in place for this exact scenario because it's not wildly unexpected. I got four words for you, fellas. Eric Lapointe, touche Montreal. <laughs> hey, maybe we should buy the team. What if we pool our money? Do you think we could do it? I'm not down with that investment. Sorry, boys, I'm out. <laughs> JC and I, there we go. The Alouettes probably cost less than a house in Vancouver anyway. I can't afford a house <laughs> in Vancouver, Hodge. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Maybe you can. Maybe you can afford the Alouettes. There we go. We'll make. Are it they going to let me live in the stadium? Because that's the only way that that works. If you were the owner, you could do whatever you wanted, like Mr. Stern. I'll sleep in the dressing room. It'll be like Rudy. Heck, you'll be starting at left tackle. <laughs> now, that's a scenario that Trevor Harris does not want to see. No. <laughs> the BC Lions acquired Vernon Adams Jr. from the Montreal Alouettes in exchange for a first-round pick on Wednesday. Will this trade help put BC over the top after sensational quarterback Nathan Rourke underwent what is likely going to be season-ending surgery on his foot? I think this was sadly a necessary move. I would have liked to see the team roll with 
their young signal callers for a little bit longer. I want to see Michael O'Connor get a shot as a guy I've cheered for for many, many years from from our time together at UBC. I'd like to see what Kevin Thompson has the has to offer. I think he could be a quarterback of the future there. But right now, this football team is simply too good to waste this opportunity. So bringing in a guy like Vernon Adams Jr., who we know is inconsistent at best i might even call him chaotic but can certainly at the high end win football games play exciting football dish the rock around we needed to have someone like that in bc in order to capitalize on the massive league in the standings that nathan rourke has built for this team and the talent around him that's good enough to make a run at the great cup because maybe this deal is not on the table in a few weeks time time based on the struggles that other franchises are having at quarterback and you don't want to be the bc lions with all that talent and left holding nothing but air when you're going into the playoffs without viable quarterbacking so i'm a little bit sad that this probably means we won't see michael o'connor run with the starting job for a long time but i think the bc lions are probably better off at least this season because of it it's a smart, forward-thinking move for this season and the future for the BC Lions. And I'm going to go on a rant here in a second. But it does make sense because you get a veteran quarterback in there who is definitely better than Antonio Pipkin. And I would have liked them to see ride Michael O'Connor for a little while. We'll get some more details on his injury when they get back to practice. I believe it is on Saturday. But what I do not like and what Nathan Rourke has proven is the fact that there seems to be a rush and a desperation in this league for teams to sign or trade or go with 500 quarterbacks. All right. Nathan Rourke proved that if you have conviction in somebody that they can do special things that we have not seen in this league for a long, long time. So I would challenge the personnel men in this league and the coaches to go with more unproven commodities. I know it's difficult when your job's on the line, but it can also lead to greatness like we saw with Rourke. I'm sick and tired of seeing 500 quarterbacks sign and getting in the way of unique talents like Rourke because it's been so long that we've had anybody come along and put up anything even close to what Rourke has done. There's been some great offensive seasons in recent memory but nothing even close to what Rourke has done. Now, it's different with him because he was in the building for a year with Michael Riley, played a little bit last year, flashed some of that ability, and then really clearly committed himself in the offseason, especially with special movement coach, let's call him Rob Williams, out in BC. But I want to challenge this because I think it could make the league better overall. And I just don't understand why there's this thirst to get a 500 quarterback because that's just good enough to get you beat in a lot of cases. Rourke had that team rolling and we had him ranked number one in the power rankings before his injury. They were a legit great cup contender with him as the starter. So I would like to see further quarterback development in the league as well. We've seen it certainly with the Calgary Stampeders over the years. They've never had an issue. Yes, they continue to pay Bully by Mitchell when he was the best quarterback in the league. But you go back through the history there, Jake Mayer is just the latest in a long line of in-house quarterbacks developed by that franchise. Now, it helps to have John Huffnagel and then Dave Dickinson in-house to do that. But we need more of that in the CFL instead of going with these veteran guys who are 
just good enough to get you in the playoffs, but also just good enough to get you beat and not necessarily get to a great cup. It's not really anything to do with Vernon Adams Jr. because I'm with you, JC. I believe at the high end, he can be really, really good. But when he's cold, he is really, really bad. To me, and I, I appreciate where you're coming from, Dunkster, as far as the 500 quarterback is concerned. That being said, to me, Michael O'Connor did not play well at all in his first career start. And yes, it was his first career start this past week against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, who have a very good front seven and, and, and applied some of that pass rush early and often in that game. That being said, he is not a rookie, right? He was a third round pick in 2019 played for the Toronto Argonauts for a season, played at the tail end of that season, was the third stringer in 2021 in Calgary behind Boldify Mitchell, behind Jake Mayer, and he had that same brain trust of Dave Dickinson, John Huffnagel, etc., to develop his game. He did not look ready for primetime. Does he deserve a second start? Yes, I think he does deserve a second start and an opportunity to continue with the football. All I'm saying is if I was in charge of the BC Lions, and let's remember I think the BC Lions, after a miserable 2021 season, the leadership of that organization, especially with a new owner coming in, was under a lot of pressure to not only get to the playoffs, but potentially make noise there in a very tough West division. They hit it out of the park with work and a fantastic 8-1 and start, and I do not blame them whatsoever for giving up a first-round pick to go out and get a guy who I think is already certainly better than the two quarterbacks they have on their roster. Michael O'Connor, Antonio Pipkin did not inspire any confidence in me in that game against Saskatchewan. And so I like this move a lot for the BC Lions. My opinion of the trade to Dunk's point does change if they were to make a decision to stick with Vernon Adams long term. If, you know, the injury doesn't derail Rourke's NFL chances and he does depart after this year and they were to decide to retain VA, I would think that was a poor decision because they made the right choice, in my mind, taking the leap of faith with a young quarterback. And I think VA is probably better than O'Connor and Pipkin. They have another quarterback on, on the roster, Kevin Thompson, who was outplaying O'Connor for the job in training camp as the backup and probably would have taken that job away from him had it not been for an unfortunate injury in their preseason game. This team really likes him. He's another one of those quarterbacks who's come through the big sky with Sacramento State, was a big sky player of the year, an award that's been won by the likes of you know, Bo Levi Mitchell, Matt Nichols, Jake Mayer, uh, Vernon Adams Jr. himself. So a quarterbacking factory in that conference in the FCS, and Kevin Thompson could be the next guy. I would hope that the Lions can play well enough that at the end when the standings are all decided, we get a chance to see Thompson this year, and potentially he's the guy you take a leap of faith with going forward because he has all the talent, and I know the organization is very, very high on him. Former CFL quarterback Chris Strevler was added to the New York Jets practice roster after leading the team to three consecutive come-from-behind preseason wins. He completed 24 of 33 pass attempts for 277 yards, five touchdowns, and just one interception in those games while carrying the ball nine times for 71 yards. What does this mean for Chris Strevler and his future? 
It gives him an opportunity to continue to go forward with the Jets. And if Zach Wilson misses any amount of time in the regular season, then there's a potential for him to get up there on the active roster. In my mind, this was a guy that Robert Sala and Joe Douglas had to keep on that team in some form or fashion because Strevler, people know it in the CFL and especially out in Winnipeg where Hodge is, has that unique ability to bring people together and also just loves football. He is a winner through and through, and the Jets are trying to change the perception of their team from within so they get to that point where they expect to win, and I believe Strebler can be a big boost for that. The other part of this that is really intriguing that I think hasn't been talked about much is what Strebler brings in terms of package potential and his dual threat abilities because really Joe Flacco is a big stand-in-the-pocket guy, and Mike White ain't going to run anybody over or hurt you too much with his legs. So I think Strebler could add some wrinkles that other teams have to think about, similar to what we saw with the Arizona Cardinals when he was in the desert for what was it, parts of three seasons. So I think it makes a lot of sense from the Jets' perspective, and you hope. You never like to see people get hurt, but maybe Wilson's out for a little bit of time. He gets on that active roster, gets into a game, and shows. Well, we already know from watching him in the CFL that he can perform when the lights come on because that's the biggest thing that stands out about Strebler is he just finds ways to get it done, and he's got that great attitude that can unite a locker room. To me, the the best take on Chris Streveler being waived and subsequently put on the PR in New York came from Zach Rosenblatt of The Athletic. He covers the Jets for them. He tweeted, no NFL team claimed Chris Streveler, meaning nobody wants to win the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> Fantastic tweet. A-plus. Cut the check. That's amazing. Um, to me, I think that, by and large, this just illustrates how the, the NFL's preseason means literally nothing and at this point they should just get rid of it it's a pretty obvious cash grab for owners who are looking to sell high price tickets and concessions for what is at the end of the day useless football that doesn't mean anything cfl teams i think need the preseason they only have two of those games but they need the preseason because they've got the short training camps there's no off-season mini camps there's no otas like there are down south where these guys are in the building you know in some cases 10 or even 11 months of the year cfl players show up you know in may and and they're playing their first preseason game in two and a half weeks in some cases so the nfl at this point if if a guy can go out and throw for five touchdown passes in what was essentially four quarters of work and lead you to three straight come from behind wins and he's not making the team over mike white just get rid of these games they're pointless they're useless they're garbage get rid of them Move on. No one on this podcast has been more critical of Chris Strevler than I. But you're exactly right, Hodge. I mean, he did not just play exceedingly well. I mean, Coach Robert Sala called it perhaps the greatest preseason in NFL history by his quarterback, which is quite the quote to make before you cut a guy. But he also outplayed the other two healthy quarterbacks. I mean, Joe Flacco looked like an elderly pile of excrement in in the snaps he played <laughs> against the starters. Meanwhile, Mike White was playing against very similar competition in these games to Chris Streveler and did not look nearly as good as Streveler did. Now, you'll say, 
the games matter very little compared to all the reps in training camp. But Strevelers look good by all accounts all throughout. And the team literally made the decision to roll through all those four weeks and stick with the exact same lineup they had before, which to me defeats the purpose of the entire endeavor. He should be on that active roster in my mind, and I can't believe you're rolling into a season in 2022 with Joe Flacco starting games for you at the at the beginning of the season. It's, it's ludicrous to me, but that aside... I wish Strevler the best, and hopefully at some point we can see him get on the active roster so he can get the six games he needs to get the NFL pension. The fact that Strevler is still in the building, though, gives him a chance, in my mind, to take that active roster spot away from Mike White because I understand what you said, JC, about training camp reps, and there's so many more of them for the coaches to digest and grade the players on. But you got to perform ultimately when the lights come on. And White started some games last year and created a bit of mania there in New York. But it was very clear, as you said, that Strebler outplayed him. So if he continues to do that in practice, earn the respect and most importantly, trust of the coaches, and that's a situation and potential move that we could see happening. Strebler coming up to the active roster, White going down to the practice roster, largely also based on the dual threat athletic abilities that Strebler has and just the threat of that package and the extra preparation time that opponents might have to spend getting ready for Strebler. And I'm with you, man. The fact that Flacco is somehow starting games in the NFL still is unbelievable. But, man, go out and do your best self and make the cash. Jake Mayer made his first. (laughs) I was going to say, the locker room, do you think he gets, like, pudding cups and slippers like uh, if i had a 30 35 36 year quarterback on my team i'd be slipping in retirement home applications and a lock every single week because that guy is Man. old and yeah it's been a long time since he was that good sorry to say it. as a side note you bring up slippers when i saw bo levi mitchell in guelph i guess it was a couple weeks ago now he was rocking nike slippers like he was super comfortable with himself during the summertime, it should be said, and he was going to walk all the way from the locker room to the hotel, which is across campus. So I'm sure Flacco is probably rocking some type of Gucci slippers in that Jets locker room. All good on Strebler, boys? We're good. Jake Mayer made his first start of the 2022 season and played well for the Stampeders, completing over 82% of his passes for 294 yards and three touchdowns in a tight 31-29 loss to Winnipeg last week. Does that performance mean we've seen the last of Bolivar Mitchell as Calgary's starter barring injury? Yes, in my opinion, it does. I mean, again, the injuries always play a factor. If Jake Mayer goes down, I fully expect Bolivar Mitchell to come back with a vengeance. That being said, Jake Mayer was sensational against Winnipeg. He completed 15 passes in a row at one point against what is a very good defense in Winnipeg, right? He found ways to move the football in ways we have not seen the Stampeders do consistently all year long. He distributed the ball very effectively. He clearly has great chemistry already with Malik Henry connecting for three touchdown passes. To me, Jake Mayer lived up to the hype. He showed why his coaching staff opted for him as the starter, and I'm expecting to see him for the rest of the season. I really am. Yeah, I think the sense was entering this league. There are people around the league that think this transition 
happened too late. I know there are people in the Stampeders organization that think the team made this transition too late, but better late than never because Jake Mayer looked dramatically better than Bo Levi Mitchell, and he is the type of quarterback that we were talking about earlier that is the future of this league, a young guy that has shown all the potential in the world, that's developed within the system over two years now, and now it's time for him to take the reins. And the conversation for me now becomes what happens next for Bo Levi Mitchell because you know a lot of people will say, okay, it's time for retirement, but he seems to me like the type of guy that's going to cling on for dear life to this career for as long as he possibly can. And while he hasn't looked great this year, he's shown some flashes and he's still competent. And we know there are teams out there in the CFL that are going to go for those 500 quarterbacks, as Dunk described them earlier in this podcast. And Bo Levi Mitchell is probably better than most of those guys still. So is there going to be a team that you know, backs up the Brinks truck and gives them a load of money next season to be their starting quarterback. It'll be interesting to see where Bo Levi Mitchell lands because it's just another example of those great quarterbacks who we identify with a singular franchise potentially ending their career elsewhere in another uniform, perhaps forgettably. Mitchell is well above those 500 quarterbacks. Let's make that clear. I believe he has the CFL's all-time best winning percentage in terms of wins and losses. So I think him going to another franchise is definitely possible. But Mitchell has said in the past, if I remember right, that he wants to play at a high level. And when he feels like he can't do that, then he won't be playing football anymore. And a lot of people will talk about, well, hey, he could just go and join the TSN panel. He had a stint with them last year at the Grey Cup in Hamilton. And in my mind, it was excellent brought a real, true, sharp analysis to that panel that is dearly needed without saying anything more. So that's something that he could easily transition to, but it's not going to pay him three, four, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000 a year. It's a nice job, certainly. And Mitchell probably doesn't need the money at this point, having already made millions in his CFL career. But he still has that competitiveness. It's very clear to me. And if you talk to people around the Stampeders, he was pissed about Mayer being named the starter. And if you're that upset about getting leapfrogged and you still have those competitive juices flowing, if he was all right, then that just wouldn't be Bo Levi Mitchell if he was okay with another quarterback leapfrogging him. To me, it's a difficult situation because Calgary has two really good quarterbacks, in my opinion, and Mayer has clearly outplayed him based on what I've gotten from people in Calgary since training camp. To your point, JC, it seemed like it was a matter of time, maybe well overdue, that Mayer got put over Mitchell. But if you look at the league as a whole, there could be a handful of teams next year that come to Bo Levi Mitchell's door knocking with a bunch of money. Like, let's just go down the list here real quickly. If the BC Lions do indeed lose Nathan Rourke to the NFL, Perhaps they check in with Foley by Mitchell. We know the Edmonton Elks quarterback situation has been atrocious, except for when they started the Canadian Trey Ford. Cody Fajardo's contract is up at the end of the season. Saskatchewan has, in the past, had interest in Mitchell before he signed that big deal with Calgary prior to the 2019 season. So they would certainly check in on him. Zach Claros doesn't look like he's slowing down, so Winnipeg's not going to be an option, but... The quarterback situation in Hamilton, you wouldn't like to add Bowie by Mitchell in there. And, oh, by the way, in Toronto, 
Whereas the old quarterback coach is Ryan Dinwiddie. If he can keep his job, I'm sure that the Argos would love to add him. And if you're the Montreal Alouettes, as much as you like Trevor Harris, you might want to take a peek at Mitchell. And in Ottawa, we know they've been bouncing around quarterbacks all season long. So if you get a chance to add Mitchell, who's a two-time Grey Cup winner, a two-time MLP, and yes, he's not necessarily playing at that level, you have to at least investigate that situation. So I certainly think Mitchell could continue playing. He will have offers if he wants to, but he would also be great on that TSM panel. One thing I'll say, you mentioned Zach Kolaris. He is a pending free agent. I'll just say that. You never know, right? You never know come the offseason what could happen. Oh, my goodness, Hodge. You just created mass hysteria throughout the whole province of Manitoba with that comment, leaving them hanging. I'm just saying. He's a pending free agent. You never know what can happen with a pending free agent quarterback or a pending free agent Ooh, head coach. Agging more know. fuel to the fire. Mm. Spicy. Woo. That's why you listen to the Three Down Nation podcast, baby. We give you the goods and don't hold back. Dane Evans is expected to be the man under center for the Thai Cats for the foreseeable future after Matthew Schultz reportedly suffered a wrist injury that will keep him out for the next four to six weeks. Evans struggled against Toronto last week, throwing three interceptions and losing a fumble, later taking credit for the loss. Is Evans playing for his future? He absolutely is. And the statistic that stands out to me, I think we tweeted it out earlier in the day, the turnover differential around the league, I think Hamilton's at minus 21. It's the next uh, next worst team at minus 10 or something like that. I don't have it in front of me. But there is, it's an absurd gap. And most of that has been because of Evans. Obviously, early in the season, we talked, you know, consistently about his struggles turning over the football both throwing interceptions and losing fumbles it seemed to get better there for a stretch but now coming off injury he tossed three more picks lost another fumble he has to play better than that and he knows it and if it were not for this injury to Matthew Schiltz Dane Evans would not have a job and to be quite frank he might not have a job right now because it's been reported that Jamie Newman, their third-string quarterback, young rookie out of Wake Forest, is taking first-team snaps in practice. Now, that could change over the course of the week, and they can go back to Evans. It would certainly be unusual for Newman to uh, step into the starting lineup right away like that. But if Evans is under center, he has to prove now within this game that he is up to the task to stay their starting quarterback because he hasn't so far this year and the team has suffered. They are in dire straits. They are in desperation mode for the playoffs. And right now they need a quarterback they can trust. Just taking responsibility for a loss after the fact does not matter a lick. You have to actually change something to keep your job. Dane Evans might not even get that chance. And yeah, it might be a swing for the fences to start Jamie Newman. But if we're in the seat of head coach and president of football operations, Orlando Steinauer, and you're looking at what Dane Evans has consistently done on the field throughout the season, and that's turn over the football at critical times, plus you listen to him when he talks to the media, there is next to no confidence there coming from Evans. Whereas when we saw Newman get a little bit of action, you can see why this dude was a highly touted recruit who originally 
committed to the University of Georgia before going to Wake Forest. And we know that it was a stacked depth chart. I believe he was there at the same time as Jake. Sorry, Trump, you, you've got your, uh, that, right? your, your timeline backwards. Newman was at Wake Forest. Then he opted to transfer for Georgia for what would have been his senior season. A lot of people had him pegged as a first-round NFL draft pick because of how good he looked in his starts the last year at Wake Forest. But then COVID hit. He decided to gamble, opted out. So he never actually played at Georgia that year they won the national championship. He should have been their starting quarterback, but he decided not to play that season. It wound up with him going undrafted. That's why he's here in the CFL. But a guy who had all the talent that people thought he was going to be a first-round NFL draft pick out of an SEC program until he decided not to play that season. So I defer to the expert, my man. I think that's why Newman could get the start potentially on Labor Day. Maybe even Evans doesn't get the chance to play for his job here because he hasn't shown any signs of improvement. And to be quite honest, no signs of him being better as a leader. And he has zero confidence. So if I'm Steinauer, there's no way I'm running this guy out there in a game that in Hamilton, you are expected to win. It doesn't matter what your record is. You better beat the Argos on Labor Day, Tim Hortons Field. And after the last time they played the double blue, that doesn't look like a certainty this year. I'll give you credit, Dunk. You're at least consistent, whether it's starting nobody quarterbacks in BC. You want Jamie Newman <laughs> under center for the Cats, who for anybody with anything less than JC's genius level IQ for obscure college facts. Nope, nobody knows. Who he is. By the way, Jamie Newman has played this year. He looked awful throwing the football. Just awful. Very small sample size. I'll give him full credit for that. We don't really know what he can do. All I'm saying is this was not a Jake Mayer type situation. This was more like a Justin Gold situation when we saw Jamie Newman ooh, on ooh, the field. Ooh. Don't compare him to Gold. I'm not saying he was amazing in that game, but he didn't look out of place for a rookie. And I just don't want anybody to think that this dude is Justin Golds. Oh my gosh, I think it's so much more upside. Well, he's completed two career passes for four yards. And, you know, I, I'm not sure either of those passes were necessarily the thing of genius. That being said, I look forward to seeing what he can do and what his potential is. Obviously, it's a very small sample size, but I need to see more. For me, the answer is yes, 100% Dane Evans is playing for his job. If not his job with the Ticats, his job in the CFL next year. I think Evans has absolutely done enough good things this year to get a contract next year. The question is, does he go into camp making $400,000, $500,000 as a starter? For me, the answer right now is no. He's got a chance in front of him, if he can protect the football, to re-earn that spot and rebuild that confidence. I'm excited you to talk see about genius. I listened to this podcast a while back, a, a preseason preview, and some dude was saying that Jamie Newman could have started for the Ticats at some point this season. He predicted it. I wonder who that genius was and what amazing podcast he was on. You know, I will never know. We'll never know. I think it was <laughs> Mr. JC Abbott. We'll give Kyron. Him some credit. And boys, I mean, I think all three of us, hold on a second had questions about Dane Evans coming into the season. And we've been proven right. He didn't have Jeremiah Masoli there to lean on or to put in the game when he was struggling. And I questioned his leadership. I'm not saying he can't be a leader, but he's not one of those dudes that commands respect. And I think up until this point, we've all been proven right. I will also say some of us were questioning Boldy by Mitchell going into the season, but I don't want to open up that can of worms again. <laughs> 
Tyran Moore made three catches for 35 yards in his return from a torn ACL with the Riders last week. The team also signed Canadian receiver Braden Linnaeus following his stint in the NFL and is expecting to get Shaq Evans back from injury, possibly as early as the Labor Day Classic. Which of those three receivers will make the biggest impact over the rest of the season in Raggerville? Easy answer for me. It's Mr. Lenius and full credit to Mr. Hodge for breaking the story that he was coming back to Ryderville. He had it first on 3downnation.com. And the reason that I think it's Lenius is multiple. He's got a rapport already with Cody Fajardo from last year. Was great, especially in the red zone for them. And then he was giving away footballs to fans, just helping himself out, grow his brand there in the province. And the fact that he trained to be a receiver in the NFL makes me think we'll see an even more explosive Lenius on the field in the CFL. So I'll defer to Mr. Hodge here in a second, but it's Lenius and I don't even think it's that close. I'm going to take a different route from you, Mr. Dunk. I'm going to go ahead and say Kyron Moore because so far this season, the Saskatchewan, I'm a big Lenius fan and he's engaged to a Regina girl, which is great that he's going home and he's, and he's also committed to that team through 2023, not just 2022. He'll be there through all of next season in his hometown. Fantastic for him and for that organization. I think it's a good fit. That being said, I'm going with, uh, with Kyron Moore. The reason is this team desperately needed a deep threat. All year, they've been asking Duke Williams to be that guy. And I'm sorry, Duke Williams has not been that guy. He has not looked healthy. He has not looked particularly well-conditioned. And him leaping up as high as he can in the air and flopping to the ground like a fish, catching one out of five passes that comes his way, 45 yards downfield, does not impress me. I'm sorry, it just does not. Kyron Moore is the better deep threat, and he is a receiver in my view, who is better to fill that role. And it's a role they really need because Saskatchewan's offense has mostly been underneath this season. Saskatchewan's offense has has been very ball-controlled centered. And Cody Fajardo needs that target that he can hit over the top. I think Kyron Moore is that guy. By the way, I'm not saying Duke Williams is a bad receiver. I'm just saying he's not that guy in that offense. Kyron Moore can be that guy in that offense. You just said he flops around like a fish. So only when going that for those worse than calling him a bad receiver. Only when going for those forty-five yard bombs. I mean, how many? I'm I'm not making this up. How many times has he has he dove for a football and then left the field with injury this year? I can count at least four off the top off the top of my head. So if he wants to be upset about that, he can go I, ahead. I don't know. Maybe- the facts, the facts. <laughs> It's Maybe he needs to change analysis. his diet. All those nachos are good to him. Well, then him and I, then him and I have something <laughs> well, in common. Let, my let's make one thing clear here, Hodge. <laughs> Linnaeus's hometown is not Regina. He was born there, but he's a North Van boy. He's from out here in BC. So let's make that clear. Uh yeah. I no, was I, I was there. born in oh, Edmonton. I'm no longer Edmonton. from Edmonton. This is my hometown here. That where you grow up is where your hometown is from. It doesn't matter where you're born. House. The people of Edmonton are hurt that they. Can't I don't know. JC I don't know. I, I still. I still cheer for it all out there, but I'm a BC boy now. That that much is clear. But the answer to this question is obvious to me, guys, and I don't know why no one has hasn't said it yet. The answer is none of the above. It's Keon Schaefer Baker is the only receiver that matters in that Raggers offense. That's it. He's the best. <laughs> 
He is the the best player on the Raiders offense right now. And you saw it this last week against the BC Lions. This is the first time that the Raiders offense has looked dangerous at all this season. And it's because they took a couple of designed deep shots to Keon Schaefer-Baker, who had, I think, over 170 yards receiving on that game. A big touchdown that was for 85 yards from Kogi Fajardo beating the Blitz. Once they schemed it up so they could hit Keon Schaefer-Baker in space, they won a football game. To me, every time they've lost, they haven't been able to get the ball in his hands. When they've won, it's because they've got him targets. He should be getting 10 balls thrown his way every single game. And to me, you know, you talk about Duke Williams flopping around like a fish. Well, Keon Schaefer-Baker doesn't drop balls, right? He catches everything you throw his way, and he gets yards after the catch. He is by far the most dynamic weapon that they have at their disposal, and they need to make sure they're designing that offense around him. Everyone else we listed, Shaq Evans, Kyron Moore, Braden Lengius, they're all superfluous. They're extra. They're added uh, cherries on top to that offense that could help you know, open up space for Keon Schaefer-Baker to do what he does best. The Rough Riders are costing Keen Schaefer Baker a shot at the NFL. I know they want to keep him there, but that dude, I feel like we've been saying this a bunch, or at least I've said it a bunch on radio in Saskatchewan, needs to run through him. They need to force feed that dude the football. And with Duke Williams on the field, you would think that that would take away some of the coverage and just simply not allow the safety to tilt over there or be doubled or bracketed or what have you. I think from the jump, that Jason Moss has not used this guy properly. He flashed last year under Moss. And I'm talking about from the jump this season in 22. He needs to be force-fed the football because, JC, you're absolutely right. The Riders' offense is at its best when it's running largely through Schaefer Baker in the passing game. And this dude, make no mistake, I don't care that he played Canadian University football. And, yes, it was the University of Guelph, and that's where I played my ball. But I'm usually harder on the Griffins coming out, all right? So for him for him to earn this hype from me, he's got to go above and beyond. And this dude should be playing on Sundays, in my opinion, for the way that he goes up and catches a football. He's so consistent. His body control is unbelievable. He performed as well as any rookie receiver in recent CFL history. American, Canadian, I'm not even going to say the other designation in this league, but global as well. So he needs to see the rock more. And I think this dude hopefully gets some NFL workouts after this season because in my mind, he's that good and he can compete down south. I think he will get those NFL looks. So Ryder fans, if you're waiting to see this guy in person, don't wait till after the 2022 season. Go see Kia Schaefer-Baker now because you never know where he'll be next year. Hodges, heritage moment. We're staying in the province of Saskatchewan for this one, boys. On this day in 2015, the Riders fired head coach Corey Chamberlain and general manager Brendan Tamman. The team was less than two years removed from a Grey Cup title and had gone 10-8 and in the previous season, losing to Edmonton in the West semifinal. 2015 was a disaster, however, as the Riders started the year 0-9 following an Achilles injury to Darian Durant in Week 1. Saskatchewan named Bob Dice the interim head coach and Jeremy O'Day the interim general manager, though both would be replaced by Chris Jones in December. Chamberlain went 4-14 as the head coach in Toronto in 2019 and is now coaching in the USFL, while Tammon is now the director of pro personnel with the Ottawa Red Blacks. Boys, what do you remember about the day the Riders fire not only Corey Chamberlain, but also 
Brendan Tamman. It didn't really make sense to me, to be honest, at the time. I get this was a terrible start, but that whole season was riding on Darian Durant. And when he got hurt, you knew they were going to be bad. And those two were just two seasons removed from winning a Grey Cup. And, oh, by the way, on home soil in arguably the most pressure-packed season in the province until 2022. So I thought it was a quick trigger move that never should have happened. They should have had the chance to try to get that team. You mean you don't expect a team to win with Tino Sinceri as their quarterback? Come on, Dunk. That guy. That guy's a generational talent. Agreed. Generational. <laughs> I think Brett Smith played the most for the Riders that year. A quick search tells me that is accurate. He threw for 1,800 yards that year, 15 touchdowns to nine picks. That's not bad. Maybe somebody's got to give Brett Smith a call. He's still only 30 years old. Baby, we'll see. Maybe he'll be starting for the Thai Cats by October. We'll see. <laughs> that was too good, man. The three-minute drill. Here we go. The Montreal Alouettes have suspended fullback Christophe Nomar after he was charged with two counts of luring a minor. What does that mean for the Alouettes? I think the Owls handled this appropriately, suspended indefinitely. Let's let the legal process run its course without Mr. Normand being on the field. Ottawa added four new scouts to the fold, including former CFL coaching quarterback Rick Worman. I think there's a great, it's a a great move. move they team? added three guys with a lot of experience scouting under their belt, which will always help. But the person that I'm most intrigued by is the fourth one, the one with no experience. Her name's Nagia Ducour. She is from Paris. She's from France. She moved here seven years ago to Canada to chase her football dream. She ended up being the first female coach hired by a U Sports program when Carlton hired her last year. She was quickly followed by a parrot McMaster, including our former colleague Amanda Ruler, who's now with the Seattle Seahawks. She performed well there. The Red Blacks had her as a guest coach in training camp. Now she's looking to move on into the scouting department. A tremendous story for her, and I wish her all the best in the CFL. The Chargers place Canadian defensive back Tavon Campbell on injured reserve due to a knee issue. Is his tenure with the team coming to an end? I don't think so. They really like him there, and if he can get healthy, then the Chargers will want him back on the field. Former Blue Bombers defensive lineman Doug Brown is being inducted into the BC Football Hall of Fame. Is... A worthy inductee. Like the only question about this is why wasn't Doug Brown already in the BC Football Hall of Fame? This is overdue. He's in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Get him in the BC Hall of Fame. I'm glad it's happening. University of Manitoba Bison's kicker Maya Turner became the first female player to score points in U Sports I think it's a history. massive deal. Is Last year we deal? saw the first Canadian female hit points in the NCAA in Christy Elliott. Now we have Maya Turner, who's actually American. She's from Minnesota. She transferred to the University of Manitoba this year. She was a Division I soccer player at Loyola... Loyola... Yo, that's a hard word to say. Loyola... Loyola... I can't say that word. I've discovered a word I physically... I physically can't pronounce it. I tried to help you out, buddy. This is... This this is enthralling. A college in Chicago. And she was a Division I soccer player there, decided that she wanted to chase the prospect of playing division one football she was at the coles kicker camp she was better ranked at that camp than many guys who went on to division one stardom uh as kickers 
Now she's at the University of Manitoba. I'm glad to see her get her shot. The Calgary Stampeders unveiled new black alternate uniforms. Are they flash or are they trash? Ooh, trash is harsh, man. I know they were taking some heat, literally, for going with black and the Ottawa Red Blacks had some fun with them. But they've worn black on Labor Day for a long time. So I actually kind of like them. But those classics that you can remember Jeff Garcia throwing for a bunch of yards in are what I like the most. They should bring those back. Saskatchewan has officially sold out the Labor Day Classic against Winnipeg. Can the Blue Bombers send home the raucous crowd unhappy? I think they can, and I think they likely will. That said, Labor Day, you could throw the records out. The Riders have won this game 14 of the last 16 years, including that miserable 2015 season that we talked about just a moment ago. So the Riders could absolutely get it done on Sunday. JC, you shortlisted 10 candidates to win this year's Heckrighton Trophy as the top player in U.S. There's some football. good candidates. Who is gonna I'd like win to it? highlight Mason Nyus at the University of Saskatchewan. He's a fifth-year quarterback. That always helps anyone's Heckrighton case. And he was very good last year. I don't think he got enough credit for how efficient he was with the football. But Jonathan Senecal at the University of Montreal entering his second season was absolutely fantastic in week one. If he keeps that up for the Carabin, it's going to be difficult to take that award away from him. Former CFL quarterback James Franklin is selling his 2015 Grey Cup ring. Do you have any interest in buying it, Doug? I don't really, unless I could flip it for more potentially. And I kind of understand why he's selling because he wasn't a starter on that team. But hey, if you're an Edmonton football team fan, get your money out there. You might get a Grey Cup ring on the discount. Canadian Football Hall of Fame builder Joe Pastilli passed away at the age of 80 this past week. What did he mean for amateur football in our country? Well, I mean, the province of Quebec went through an unprecedented period of growth in the sport of gridiron football throughout the 90s. And a lot of that foundation work was laid by Mr. Pastilli. Rest in peace. Canadian offensive lineman Dakota Shepley is joining the Dallas Cowboys I think it's a great fit. Dakota Shepley, in my mind, is an NFL-level talent. He's super mobile for an offensive lineman. They like to run those zone schemes in Dallas. I think he'll fit in very nicely with that offensive line group they have there. Riders defensive lineman Anthony Lanier II impressed country music legend Garth Brooks with his rendition of Friends in Low Places on the Riders' sideline. What did you think of Lanier's singing? I mean, if Garth Brooks likes it, then how's I'm your not singing done? How's your singing? Can you can you beat it? We'll leave it there. I've done this on radio before, and I got chirped for it, but I don't care. <laughs> I got friends in low places. That's as far as I'll go. Nobody else needs to hear anymore. All right. <laughs> the Elks traded Thomas Costigan in the Feast Lion to Montreal in exchange for pass rusher Avery Ellis in a third round CFL draft pick. Who wins the deal? To me, the answer is the Montreal Alouettes. Thomas Costigan, the Feast Lion, two exciting young talents in that Edmonton defense. I think they win this deal. Uh, but that's but that's just my take. On that note, we thank you as always for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. We'll see you next Wednesday for another episode. Enjoy Labor Day. Should be a good week of football. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.